Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Aquafresh Toothpaste, available for only a pound at PowerSave. On this podcast, I talk about the songs of Iron Maiden and how they influenced me growing up as a boy in 1980s Birmingham. I have a look at them today as well, to see how I feel about them as an adult. This week, I'm looking at the song Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which is track 8 on the Power Slave album. Last week, I looked at the title track of the album, Power Slave, and I had some feedback about the show. Uncle Steve said it was an inspiring show. Well, my bits anyway. He didn't like Trevor's poem as usual. Bass Forrest agreed with this, and he said Trevor's poem was abysmal. But he did a clever play on the word abysmal by putting in abyss, which is, of course, a Bruce Dickinson lyric from the song. So that was clever. Unlike Trevor's poem. Andy from Scotland, though, liked Trevor's section, and he was inspired to do his own version of an advert based on an Iron Maiden lyric. And he came up with Buy Vic's from Boots Son. Uh, Vic is a sort of decongestant, as he said, which is sort of rub on. It's like a vapour rub to help you with a cold. And Boots is a chemist. You may recall I bought Peace of Mind from Boots. So it sold records in those days, as well as Vic. I was pleased there wasn't too much food discussion as a result of the show. But I did get a message from Pugwash, and he said that he liked my idea of travelling without leaving the house using Google Images. But he tried to go to Devon Sands in Devon, which is a complex from Haven. In fact, I mentioned that once, I went with Trevor, so maybe Pugwash was trying to recreate a holiday that me and Trevor had. However, he said that you can go on the roads near there, but you can't go into the complex. A bit like Dave Moore's Hawaiian complex where he lives. So this is interesting. He also complained that he can't get the feel of staying there because he can't sit outside a caravan eating ice cream. So I'm sorry that my method of travel wasn't 100% perfect, but you can still see famous landmarks and, and go and look at things without leaving your home. I didn't expect you to sit there looking at the beach for, for two weeks because uh, it wouldn't move, that wouldn't be realistic. Anyway, this week I'm looking at Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. It's an epic song. It's 13 minutes and 45 seconds long, which is their longest song to date. The title, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, was quite unusual. I didn't know what those words meant together, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I didn't know what a mariner was. I knew the name Mariner because there was a football player called Paul Mariner in the 1980s who played for Ipswich and Arsenal. I had him in my Panini football sticker book, so I knew his face. He had a big nose and a bit of a mullet. On Twitter recently, Andrew Whitnell pointed out that Paul Mariner had an account, and his profile picture was of Eddie, which means that Paul Mariner likes Iron Maiden. This is amazing, because when I used to buy Shoot magazine and Match magazine in the 1980s, look at the profiles of footballers, he used to ask questions of them, things like favourite sandwich or or favourite music, and their favourite music tended to be people like George Benson and Luther Vandross. There was never anything interesting. No one ever said Iron Maiden. Not even Luther Blissett. So it's a nice link between Paul Mariner and Iron Maiden, but the song isn't about him. A mariner is actually a sailor. In the title, the word rhyme is spelt funny as well, so I wondered if this was a different word to the word rhyme that I knew. In this instance, 
rhyme is spelt the same as the word time. And I mean, like, telling the time on a clock, not time the herb, because that's spelt the same way as rhyme. I mean the other rhyme, the rhyme that... Uh, rhyme is spelt R-I-M-E in this case, but it actually is an archaic word for the other rhyme that we spell R-H-Y-M-E. Maybe ignore the time thing. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is actually the title of a poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. So this song is about that, about that poem. The first verse has the following lyrics. Hear the rhyme of the ancient mariner, see his eye as he stops one of three, mesmerises one of the wedding guests, stay here and listen to the nightmares of the sun. So this suggests that there's a mariner at a wedding who's just sitting there um, and he wants to tell a story to one of the guests. You may have noticed the word mesmerises. That came up in The Number of the Beast, didn't it? Uh, so yeah, a bit of repetition there. That's nice. Uh, when I pictured an old sailor as a boy, there wasn't much of a reference point. The only people I knew like that were Uncle Albert out of Only Fools and Horses and Captain Birdseye. I wasn't sure about how realistic this scenario was. I'd not been to many weddings, and even today, um, I don't think I've ever been to one where there's a sailor just hanging about. I say sailor, I don't know if the mariner uniform is any different, so, so maybe I wouldn't recognise it. Uh, it wasn't what I thought of when I did my list for women in uniform, but I suppose in those days, maybe women weren't allowed to be mariners. If I was at a wedding and there was a, a, a mariner that just approached me and said he'd like to tell me a story, I don't think I'd stop and listen. Especially if you marketed it in a way that said, listen to the nightmares of the sea. Because that doesn't sound very nice. I don't go to a wedding for that. Uh, and I'd worry that if I stopped and listened, I'd miss the buffet. Or miss watching Trevor dancing to the Grease Megamix. The poem was written in 1797 to 1798. And this era is seen as that of the Romantic poets. So it is romantic, isn't it? Because it's set in a wedding. Um, but then it's it's a bit of an unromantic scene because there's this man just hanging about telling a nightmarish story at a wedding. So it's, why is this a romantic poem? This is why poetry confuses me. The general theme of the Mariner's story is a tale of a, a voyage. He talks about being on a boat, sailing south. The lyrics say, land of snow and ice, a place where nobody's been. So yeah, he's exploring and discovering new lands. But then they hit bad weather. Um, which is not good, obviously, and they get concerned. Uh, but then this albatross appears and the wind becomes a bit more friendly and, and, and guides them away through the fog and ice, the lyrics say. Um, so that's, that's good. So, yeah, the, the, the crew are cheering. But then this mariner shoots the albatross for no reason. And then, yeah, the line says, kills the bird of good omen. And this doesn't go down well with the crew. They're not happy with this. But then the fog clears, so actually I think maybe the bird brought the fog and maybe it was a good thing that he was shot. And when I say shot, it was with a crossbow, not a gun. So things are all right for a bit, but then the wind just stops and the ship is just sort of stuck there on a calm sea, which is described very nicely. Um, I'm sort of jumping ahead here. I'm giving an overall synopsis of the poem, which which maybe I shouldn't do yet. I should look at some of the other details. Um but yeah, just to give you a general idea, um, because they're trapped going nowhere, um, this sort of 
painted ship upon a painted ocean it's described as so it's just like a, a still scene like a landscape in a painting so yeah they're just sitting there and they get thirsty and they, again they blame the mariner so they're a bit a bit fickle aren't they um, and they hang the albatross from his neck like instead of a cross it's this symbol so it's like a yeah you killed it wear it around your neck you can bear the guilt of your actions so all of this happens in several verses at the beginning of the song. And the song sort of pounds away like a voyage itself. We've had travel before, haven't we? We've had the galloping of hooves in the trooper. We've had the clickety-clack sound like a train. So to get motion, they use these tricks. I wonder why Steve Harris was so interested in this poem that he wrote a song about it. Maybe he was reading it on the World Peace Tour. You wonder if he saw himself in the poem, the parallels of his own life. Maybe he was making decisions that may have been unpopular, like the mariner did. Maybe the reaction of people changed towards him, like the crew. Um, and I, I say the crew, I mean the mariner's crew, not the road crew of Iron Maiden. But, but that might also be linked. Maybe old bandmates and the press, maybe he didn't like how their attitudes changed around him, based on the things he decided. I also wonder if, after they killed Eddie off in Dortmund in 1983, Maybe the band was starting to think that Eddie was like the albatross around their neck. Maybe he was limiting what they could do. Or maybe they were worried he was getting the attention. So as I mentioned, this first section of the the song and the poem um, is just covered in several verses. There's not too much change in, in the music. But in between the verses, there's like a, a musical break. What makes it interesting is Bruce's delivery, how that sort of grows as the song does. So yeah, while it, it doesn't change much, it's how Bruce sings things that make the story more real. The section where he says, the albatross begins with its vengeance. The way he says albatross, there's a sort of, you can hear the anger and, and the, the drama behind it. There's like a desperation in, in the scenario around them. Obviously there has to be a change and as the poem changes, the song changes. So to emphasise a ship approaching this still scene, the music changes. While a ship approaching might sound promising, it's actually like a ghost ship, and there's two characters on board. There's death and life in death. And they sort of roll dice to get the souls of the crew who are dying of thirst. Death wins most of them, but life in death wins the mariner. Which means that he goes on living, watching the crew die, and he sees what happens. It's a bit like a curse again. After this, there's a bit of a building musical section, and here it is. Oh no, that's, that's Doctor Who, isn't he? Uh, sorry. Here's the actual music. After this, it slows down to this narrated passage, which is really nice. Um, up to this point, there have been a few actual quotes from the poem. I mentioned the line, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. That's actually directly from the poem, and it isn't Steve Harris's lyrics. There's now a section where it all slows down, and 
we actually do get a narration rather than Bruce singing. You can hear boat creaks in the background. I often wondered who, who did the voice for this, because in previous songs we've had the voice of Patrick McGowan on The Prisoner and that man from Count Ducula on The Number of the Beast. Some people speculate that it's Orson Welles or Richard Burton who does the voice here, and that's because they did some audio versions of the poem. But I've listened to both of them, and it isn't those people. Some people suggest it's Bruce putting on a voice, which is also possible. But I don't like it when people put on voices to try and fool you on recordings. I mentioned faints the other week, which is more like a hand trick. But, but maybe there's a vocal faint as well, where people trick you with their voice. So maybe Bruce did record this in a, in a bit of a posher voice. One after one, by the start. I watched a classical composer analyse this song on YouTube. It's like a reaction video. And he spoke about this section. And he mentioned something called augmented triads. So that's what they're doing here, um, if you always wondered. It's augmented triads. A classical composer says so. Maybe I should do a reaction video. Maybe I should pretend that I've heard a song for the first time by Iron Maiden. Maybe I could eat a fray bentos pie while I'm doing it as a gimmick. Maybe I could get a bit of sponsorship and put it on the TikTok. Well, that might be a bit dangerous doing this during an Iron Maiden song because I might choke on a bit of grizzle when Bruce screams. I suppose if this happened, it might go viral. Um, but then what if I went live and I choked to death? People might think it was an act. Or I might get on Central News. I wouldn't like that, though. Um, well, obviously I wouldn't like dying, but the band might get bad press as a result of it. Especially if I was eating a mariner's pie. That'd be a bit of a coincidence. Uh, but Fred Bentos don't do a mariner's pie um, because that's topped with mashed potato, of course, whereas Fred Bentos is puff pastry. So yeah, anyway, mariner, it's another name for a sailor, um, but it's not the same as an admiral. Um, so it must be a rank because you can get an admiral's pie as well. And that's got a different sauce and a different fish. I suppose it's a bit like the difference between a shepherd's pie and a cottage pie. Uh, anyway, before I went off on this food tangent, I mentioned this composer and augmented triads. But I think pies are probably more interesting, aren't they? This slow section stops, and then we get this high bass to sort of bring us into a change of tempo and another new section. And this is uh, the line that says, The curse it lives on in their eyes. The mariner, he wished he died. Um, I really like this section. Uh, again, there's a drama there. And, and drama, I'm, you may be fed up with me saying it, but I've said it a lot on this album because the album is very dramatic. So this is, again, following on from, from the dice rolling. So he sees the crew dying in front of him. And it's a bit like a curse. So, yeah, while he's got life after death, or rather life in death, has, has got his soul so he can carry on living, he actually sees his crew slip away and... and the curse it lives on in their eyes. He sees their eyes watching him as they do this. So it's horrible. But then, after this, at night time, he sees the beauty in all things. So there's a bit of a redemption after this. Um, and this realisation of the world around him and its beauty, that lifts the curse and the albatross falls from his neck, as does the rain from the sky. Now, I've said about the rain in a very understated fashion, but the way that Bruce delivers this line, 
He's amazing. He sort of screams it, and this scream descends, like the rain does from the sky. It descends in scale. And when he gets to the bottom, he sort of laughs a bit. I'll, I'll try and emulate it now. Then down in falls comes the rain. <laughs> that wasn't a bad first effort. Um, I think it shows how difficult it is to do a, a sort of realistic laugh at the end of such a, a long, high, squealy note. I think if the band listen to this and I feel that Bruce might be getting on a bit, then maybe they could give me a call and maybe with a bit of practice I could do just as good a job as Bruce. I've done a few things like this on other episodes, so I'm glad for, I'm glad of the support I've received. I've had a few comments about my, my voice. When he's doing this laugh, though, it's not he's not just doing that like I did with nothing else around him. Obviously, the music's building, getting ready for another section. And this is this is probably the best bit of the song. Just a bit between the scream and the next section, there's like a sort of a a build, I think you call it. it I find it hard to describe it, but that goes on a bit. But you know what's coming next, so it's there's, there's a lot of tension there, even though you know what's coming because we're all old fans, aren't we? But it's still great. It still hits you when it comes in. And as this goes on a bit, then we get the solo section, which is uh, Adrian before Dave, um, which is unusual on this album, because normally Dave does his bit before Adrian. I don't know why, maybe, maybe they did it as alphabetical order of surname. But on this song, Adrian gets the treat. And, and there's no point me talking about this section because it's so good. I don't think I can do it justice. But after Power Slave, where we had that amazing instrumental passage, and now we've got this, I think that's just an amazing end to the album with two brilliant instrumental passages. Talking of Adrian, here he is with the latest chapter from his book. Hi, this is Adrian Smith. I'd like to thank all of those fans who took time out to wish me a happy birthday the other day. That was very nice and uh, yes, I had a lovely day. You'll all know that I, I turned 64, so I played the Beatles when I'm 64, uh, which was enjoyable. Uh, had a bit of a chuckle at that. I did think about playing it 64 times, but uh, that would have taken three hours, which uh, was a hefty chunk of my birthday. Some people have wondered what, what a rock star might want for his birthday. What, what could they possibly need? But uh, you'll find I'm just like you. I uh, asked for some things, but didn't get them. I wanted a, a nail clipping set, but uh, I'll have to get that myself. I did get uh, a gift voucher, uh, which, which I struggled to spend. Got some pants and socks. And uh, some pajamas, uh, a few other things, but I won't go into detail. Uh, I'm here to read my book, so uh, here we go. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, listen out at the end because I've got something else to say. Chapter four: The Prisoner. The boys were gathered round Nico's house, playing card games and talking about the shop. They had all been rather disappointed. Every time one of them approached the shop, it was closed. 
even at normal opening times. It was very strange. I wonder how Paul Diano is getting on at his new school, asked Steve. Bruce laughed. I don't think he'll enjoy it. I've heard it's quite a battle zone in the playground. Lots of bad boys. Dave started to cry. He had liked Paul, but didn't like to reveal it to the others. He was also sad that Paul Diano hadn't had a party to say goodbye properly. Mrs. Diano made a lovely trifle. He soon perked up when Nico started banging his drum and singing some contemporary hits of the age. I say, said Adrian quickly, trying to stop Yannick from doing a jig. It'll be the half-term holidays next week. That means there'll be a festival in the park. Everyone cheered. Has anyone heard what the attractions are? asked Bruce. No, said Steve, but I imagine they'll be putting up the posters soon. Officer Riggs whistled a merry tune as he cycled to the prison. He had had a marvellous breakfast of bacon, eggs, toast and black pudding. He had given up sausages for Lent, but was looking forward to a slap-up feast of sausages and chocolate eggs on Easter Sunday. He was especially looking forward to tucking into the large egg he had been talked into buying from the new shop. Back to the present, he propped his bicycle up by the wall and went into the prison. He was here to ask some more questions of the prisoner, the villain he had caught, the one nicknamed The Head. He doffed his hat to the officer on reception duty and asked to speak with Sergeant Smallwood. The sergeant will be with you soon, came the reply, and Officer Riggs sat down and helped himself to a newspaper while he waited. They had kept the prisoner in a special cell, and he could only be questioned with two or more men present due to the risks involved. Nice morning, sir, said Officer Riggs, as Sergeant Smallwood approached him. The sergeant grunted and led Officer Riggs upstairs to the cell area. They approached the cell door of the prisoner, and Officer Riggs giggled, which made Sergeant Smallwood frown. The door opened to reveal an empty cell. The two men gasped. He's gone, shouted Sergeant Smallwood. They looked around the cell. To the left was a rectangular hole in the wall, like a window, and near it was an iron gauntlet holding some beads. It looked a bit familiar to Officer Riggs, but he couldn't place it. Sergeant Smallwood shook Officer Riggs by the shoulders. Come on, man, stop staring at the walls, he said. We've got a dangerous criminal on the loose. So it's a long song. Um, I haven't finished. Oh, sorry. That's okay. As you heard in that chapter, there's a festival coming to the village. And if you'd like to be mentioned in the story, then get in touch uh, with Wayne on uh, Twitter or Facebook or wherever. Um, Maybe you'd like to be part of that festival. Maybe you could be a stall holder or a performer. Uh, Yeah, just get in touch and we'll include your name and and maybe what you do. And uh, yeah, you can be in the story. Um, Just... It's not because I I can't think of any names to put in it. Uh, I thought it'd be a nice offer. Uh, I don't know how many places there'll be. Uh, I don't want to be putting your names into a tub of revelations, but uh, that might be an option as well. But uh, you'll just get in touch and and maybe uh, you'll be be part of the festival. Okay, you can carry on now, Wayne. So yeah, it's a long song, over 13 minutes, and there's no real chorus in it. It's just all about the voyage and, and the different sections and how they tell the story. I saw it live in 1986 on the Somewhere on Tour. And uh, I was very young then, so I don't remember it too well. Um, but I do remember there being a ship in the background. Uh, I don't mean the noise, I mean an actual 
sort of image of a ship, but it was quite dark in that section, that narrated section. It's hard to back up that memory because there's not many clips of it on YouTube, very limited footage of that tour. Of course, we've, we've all seen it on the World Slavery Tour and they've brought it back since then as well, but they've not played it as much as maybe people would like, um, even though Bruce and Steve have both said it's one of their favourite songs to play live. On the version on Live After Death, Bruce introduces the song quite famously with a line about what not to do if, and then there's a rude section, which I won't repeat, but you'll probably know it, or you can find it on YouTube. That's mentioned quite a lot. Um, while people might find that funny, it, it obviously loses impact with time, but uh, to me, I'm more impressed by Bruce in the fact that he can remember all of the words while he sings it live, um, because it's only just come out of that stage. Um, the song's quite new, and there's a lot of lyrics. It's a long song, and uh, yeah, you might you might say, ah, well, he's been re- rehearsing it a lot, or he, re- he did it every night for quite a long time on the World Slavery Tour, but I still think he deserves credit um, for remembering it. And to me, the song remains interesting because of Bruce as well as the music. The music changes, obviously, and that keeps it interesting, but Bruce's delivery throughout it also adds to the overall effect of the song. One criticism of Iron Maiden is often they play their songs quicker live. The version on Life After Death is 13 minutes and 19 seconds, so it's only sped up enough to lose 30 seconds, so it's still pretty long. I don't think this affects the song particularly if it's a bit quicker. Uh, It's still a good song. What would affect it, though, is that middle section with the narration. Because they'd play this, like a sample of it, so the same thing as on the album. They'd play this live in the background. Sometimes Bruce might uh, deliver it. But um, because they're using that sample, they'd have to get the speed of the song right. Otherwise, the sample might go beyond that section or it might end too soon, if you see what I mean. I thought it would be nice if they'd got people up on stage to do that bit, to read that out. Maybe competition winners or, or big fans. But then I suppose they might struggle to keep time with the band if, if they did go over. It might sound a bit like this. Hello, I'm Trevor. I'm here to read the poem. One after one, by the star-dogged moon, too quick for groan or sigh. Each turned his face with a ghastly pang and cursed me with his eye. I think I think you're going too fast. Can you slow down a bit, please? I think what makes this song stand out, and you could probably say this about a lot of Iron Maiden songs now, is the transitions between the sections, the the join between that slow section and then the fast bit with Steve's bass. Just it's almost effortless. And then how they get from that into the final verse section again is also amazing. In fact, the composer who watched it on YouTube said that it was a sophisticated composition, and I felt proud of Steve Harris for doing this especially when he would have written this before he was 30. Well, as the song's inspired by a poem by uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, I thought I'd uh, obviously, well, I'll be ringing Trevor anyway, but I think I'll maybe speak to him a bit more this week, see if he's got anything more about the poem to say. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Trevor. How you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Looking forward to talking about this song. 
Okay, well, we'll skip the small talk then. Let's get straight into the song. Um, so my knowledge of poems uh, actually comes from Iron Maiden. So we talked about Tennyson in The Trooper. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that this uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge is a bit different to him. Well, yeah, well, it's from another era of poetry. And we talk about Coleridge as romantic. Um, and he was a friend of Wordsworth, who's more famous for being romantic. Okay, so earlier on I mentioned a romantic poet, but that doesn't mean the poems are about romance, do they? No, romantic poems are more like an idea or an ideal, a romantic notion of life rather than realism. So, yeah, it's more about emotion and imagination. Okay, well, are you a fan of this type of poetry? Yeah, I'd say you can see that in some of my poems, that romantic theme. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say I was a fan of Coleridge, um... I mean, I only know him really through Iron Maiden. Um, he's not a poet I would have perhaps looked at. But uh, it's interesting that his other famous poem, Kubla Khan, influenced Xanadu by Rush. But I'm sure you've already mentioned that, Wayne. Uh, no, I haven't, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, clearly he's inspired rock stars then, this Coleridge. Uh, not many poets can say they've done that. No, but even though I didn't know this poem so much, Iron Maiden made me read it. Um, so that's good. I'd thank them for that. And I think it's nice that they did an epic song to suit an epic poem. I think it's a nice tribute. I think it's nice that they've quoted from the poem directly in places, but also sort of done a summary of it in others. So you've said that Iron Maiden do songs that are nice tributes to poems. Why can't you do poems that are appropriate tributes to their songs? Well, I, f- I feel I do. Um, I feel I, I want to push boundaries. I think that I'm a bit like Coleridge. Uh, he was a radical in his outlook. And uh, we've obviously both got a collection of poems released. So we've got a lot in common. You can't compare yourself to Coleridge. Well, at the moment, I, I'm a poet. and that, That's what I say I do. That's what I tell people my job is. Um, last week, I told my sister I'm a poet. What did she say? She said, I never realised that you wrote poetry. It's nice. I feel free now. I don't care about the criticisms. Well, I do a little bit, but, yeah, I'm a poet. I might even update my LinkedIn page. I was reading that, uh, obviously, Coleridge is romantic, but he's also been described as gothic. Is he a goth? No, don't don't, don't say that. Um, Gothic is a literary movement. So, yeah, things like movements in art, uh, like goth music. I'm not scared of goth music. I can listen to Sisters of Mercy, and that's okay. But if I see any of their fans in the street, I might get a bit annoyed or scared. Okay, so so you like the song anyway, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner? Yeah, I like it. Uh, it's hard to summarise a long poem in a song, or, or even in, in note form. Um, imagine taking the highlights from a 90-minute football match and pulling it in a 13-minute, 45-second slot on match of the day. How do you pick out which bits to put in? Because if they read out the whole poem, it would be a, as long as an episode of one of our podcasts. My podcast? Oh, yeah, OK. Well, I think they do a great job. And you get the feel of being on a voyage with them. And then you can also feel the different emotions of the person listening to the mariner, that wedding guest. And I think it's nice that Steve Harris might, might get a lot of credit in this song, not just for writing it, but how the bass sections sort of drive it as well. He leads those sections. Okay, thank you for that. So did a song about a poem 
inspire you to write a poem about the song about a poem? <laughs> See what I did there? Oh, yeah, very good. Well, yeah, well, that's quite a challenge, isn't it? So I, I avoided that challenge and I've just written a poem. Uh, anyway, you'll, you'll see. There's a link to it. Okay, when you're ready. I wore a sailor's hat in St. Malo. I thought the other boys would never know. But when I'm back at school, the photo on the wall of me wearing a sailor's hat in St. Malo. Is that it? Yeah, well, there is more, but I don't think I want to reveal any more. Why not? Well, I think I like that, how it ends, that sort of mystery. So you're just talking about wearing a sailor's hat in St. Malo, basically? Yeah, but there's more to it than that. And I like it because a lot's said within those lines, but but you don't realise it. Okay, well, obviously, no, this is about the French trip um, to St. Malo. Um, you have referred to this before, haven't you? Yeah, um, happy memories. Um, and that's the problem because that was tarnished by the fact that I was caught wearing a sailor's hat um, and that was put on the wall at school. Now, there's nothing, there's no shame in wearing a sailor's hat, if anyone's worried, if, if you're wearing a sailor's hat while listening to this podcast, it's okay. But when I was about 11 or 12 or whatever it was, got back to school and then, yeah, this picture of me wearing a sailor's hat was on display and everyone laughed at it and it was sad. I, I got bullied a bit. Okay, well, we don't have to go into, into the, all this detail. Well, I do, because if I just said that poem, I'd get criticised, wouldn't I? Everyone would go, oh, rubbish poem again. But I'm explaining the emotion behind it. And, yeah, I had I experienced highs in that French trip. I've talked about them. I've talked about being a balloon, and that got criticism. All right, Trevor. So, yeah, I had all that excitement, and a new world opened up to me. And then I had to get back on the coach to meet all the other schoolmates, boring. And then, yeah, go back to school, and then I get this grief. It's just like being a poet. You put all your emotion, pull your heart out find new experiences in words and then real life kicks you hard in the gut and I don't like it Wayne yeah I'm, I'm here yeah well, well you don't have to worry about the poem I mean some people like the poems not everyone criticises them some people say nothing um, some people occasionally like them maybe maybe let's move on a bit um, I appreciate the poems you do and I can see that occasionally there's this outpouring of emotion within them um, and maybe I can't understand it and and that maybe that's the point but some of these poems maybe we do need a bit more explanation at times so we, we've got the album review show next week so uh, that'll be good so you won't be doing a poem for that will you so maybe if we do a few other things um, we, we can talk about it in the week yeah okay well sorry I shouted well I don't think you shouted I suppose you're letting off steam aren't you and that's what happens with, with passionate poets I assume are you going to do an Easter special what no I haven't thought about it when's that uh, two months away that'll be on a Sunday anyway we, we don't do Sunday episodes I'm not doing an Easter special well, I thought you could we call it the eggs factor <laughs> uh, do you get it yeah, I get it, but uh, I don't think we'll be doing it. I don't care how many puns there are about eggs and scrambling and frying and all this business. So no Easter special. Uh, well, I haven't got one planned anyway. I might change my mind, but I doubt it. Why would I do an Easter special? What's going to happen there? Maybe get a Stetford male voice choir in again. 
Maybe they could do some songs. Yeah, well, I don't know. Well, anyway, album review show next week, so uh, I'll give you a call and we'll discuss that. Okay, thanks, Wayne. Bye. Well, the song ends. Um, I haven't perhaps gone into detail about the final section so much. Ends with the sort of those verse type structures that we saw earlier in the song. So I like that. Um, it mirrors it a bit. Um, and here I am doing the same in my podcast, talking about that here as well as at the beginning. So yeah, I thought I'd throw that in. Um, but yeah, it sort of ends quite abruptly. There's no long drawn out ending like there is with Power Slave. Even though you might expect that being an epic song, it sort of just sort of drifts out. And that's that's okay. I like that. Although that's the end of the album. So you might expect a bit more of a bang or a fanfare. But I think that's right. I think that suits the song and the album. Okay, so you can uh, follow me on Twitter, Facebook. I'm on you know, those places. Uh, I've got a Ko-Fi page, ko-fi.com forward slash wimp. So I post things on there occasionally. And uh, feel free to comment, like, message me. Uh, it's all very useful, and uh, I enjoy interacting with people. Just a reminder from Adrian Smith, uh, if people want to get included in uh, his next chapter, uh, then uh, get in touch, so that'd be nice. A uh, bit of an exclusive there. I've had a message from Bluto, who says that uh, there may be some lifting of restrictions soon, so will I be doing more outside broadcasts, like when I was a prowler or a drifter? Uh, well, maybe. It might depend on the song and whether it needs it. He also asked, what can we expect in the album review special? Because he really enjoyed the first two, but uh, he wasn't bothered about the next two. Well, that's a bit rude, um, but maybe the standard has dropped. Um, I can't have a jigsaw every time. Um, but what I can reveal about next week's show is that uh, amongst the bundle with Steve Harris's diaries, there's another cassette from Paul Diano. Um, so that'll be interesting. So I wonder what's on that. I've got the instructions not to open it until the show. So I'll be playing that to you. I, I might listen to it beforehand just to make sure it's okay and suitable. Um, but yeah, last last one I played was Depeche Mode, wasn't it? Uh, in the Killers album review show special. So that was quite a exclusive. Uh, some people enjoyed that. I obviously stopped it early, so I do apologise. I, I, I felt that some fans wouldn't like that style of music. And This is a heavy metal podcast. I don't think people want to hear synth pop. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that, Bluto. Hope you are too. And let's play out with uh, some Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I hope to speak with you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.